good morning again. Uh, my name is Jeff Crispin. I'm one of the elders here at Joy. A uh, wonderful privilege and honor of sharing uh, and opening God's word uh, to us this morning. Uh, I'm preaching from the book of Psalms. We've been in the book of Psalms for the uh, summer series. We're working through life's hard questions. We've been dealing five weeks, life's hard uh, questions from the book of Psalms, and I find myself in uh, week three. Uh, Kyle will be here sharing with us uh, next week. Uh, Larry or Jason, I believe, has uh, the fifth uh, of the series, but working through that. Uh, it was brought to my attention this week uh, that I, I, for the call to worship this morning, I, I used a psalm, and then uh, for the prayer of confession, the scripture we read was a psalm, and then the assurance of pardon that we used was a psalm, and now I'm preaching uh, a psalm. So it's brought to my attention. I, I don't do it often as far as putting the order of worship together, but I've just kind of inundated us uh, with the psalms. I went all in on the psalms. So I'm fully in. Larry's the one that brought it to my attention, and I just said, Larry, I'm all in on the psalms. So we're going to do a little five-minute, five series we're going to be all in. So we're, we're in the psalms. So if you've got your Bibles, want to turn to Psalm 15. Uh, we will be in Psalm 15 this morning. It is printed uh, in your bulletin. So I would ask you as I read the Word of God this morning that you might have your eyes on the Word of God this morning. Uh, what I'm about to say is far more important than what I'm going to say after that. Uh, this is the Word of the Lord. This is the Word of God. I'm just going to expound upon it. Uh, but we have Psalm uh, 15, a Psalm of David before us this morning. Uh, let's uh, read. I will read and let's uh, look at God's Word this morning. Psalm 15. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He, who's walk, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks the truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but honors those who fear the Lord who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put his money at, out at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Father, I would pray in just these few moments you would uh, give us insight and give us understanding into this, your word. As I said, what I just read is what's most important. And if there's anything that's about to be said, it will only be as it's thoroughly and completely consistent with what you have said to us in your word. So Holy Spirit, would you guide me? Holy Spirit, would you illumine the hearts and minds of your people this morning? And Holy Spirit, would you accomplish all that you have purposed for your word this morning? Bring about change in my heart. Bring about change in our hearts for us to just gather here for an hour and a half and none of us leave unmoved, unchanged. We have not met with a living God. So I pray now, Lord, that you would speak through your word. Be glorified, I pray, for I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Charles Spurgeon says this is the ultimate question and answer. Now, I don't want to upstage the, the ones that went before me and the ones that will come in, but we, we have before us here what, what Spurgeon says is the ultimate question and answer, the ultimate Q&A. We're dealing with ultimate reality here. We're, we're dealing with, a, with an ultimate question here. We need to understand this question. We need to understand the answer to this question. 
If you're a believing person, you, you need to understand what we mean by this question that, that David proposes. And if you're believing, we, we really need to thoroughly understand the answer that God gives. If you're here this morning, you don't really know what you believe about God and what you believe about Jesus, you, you need to understand this question. And you need to understand the answer that God gives to this question. So I just want to be real clear and real plain and real simple this morning. I want us just to briefly look, well, well Jeff, what is the question? We're going to look briefly at what the question is, and then we're going to just take some time and we're going to move real quickly. It's going to be real quick, and I can speak real quick, and if you can listen real quick, we're going to move through the answer. It's important. So I want to, I want to talk about the question. I want to talk about the answer, but I believe there's a real special promise here. And I don't want us to miss the promise. And I want to lean in at the end on the promise. I want you to stay. we got a question. we got an answer. we got a promise. Let's begin with the question. It's stated twice in this verse. This one verse, verse 1, the question is, is, is stated twice. And the question is asked of Yahweh himself. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The question is, Yahweh, Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Now, we, we see the word sojourn, not something we use that often, dwell. What, 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 is, what does it mean to sojourn, delve? It, it speaks about spending time. It, it speaks about relational realities. Time spent with people, time spent together. Time spent where we're knowing someone and someone is, is knowing us. That's what it means to sojourn. That's what it means to, to dwell. And he speaks here of a tent. He speaks here of your holy hill. Now immediately we hear tent, we got to kind of think, well, that's, that's probably wilderness. That's the tent in the wilderness. That's the tent that was, Moses was prescribed from the mountain to, to build this tent. It's got a holy place. It's got a most holy place. There's a pillar of cloud by day. There's fire burning down on it by night. It's the tent out in the wilderness. Your holy hill. That would cause us to think of the tabernacle. It would cause us to think of the tabernacle there in Jerusalem. And when we think about the tent and the Shekinah glory, and we think about the tabernacle in Jer Jerusalem, what he's saying here is it's presence. Lord, who can dwell in, in your presence? Who can sojourn in the presence of Almighty God? That's the question he's asking us. Who can dwell with the Almighty? Who, who can have fellowship, intimate, personal, relational fellowship with God Almighty here and now? There's heavenly realities here. We could preach this to a more heavenly perspective. There's earthly realities here. He's talking, I came across like worshipful fellowship. God is asking, our question is being asked of God, who can dwell, who can have worshipful fellowship with Almighty God? That's the question that is put before us in Psalm 15. That, that's what he's working. We're talking about true spiritual intimacy. We're talking about deep spiritual reality. We're not talking about just being in a certain place at a talk with times. We are talking about intimate fellowship with a holy God. And David's asking that question. And that's the question before us this morning. And before I give you the answer, 
How would you answer that question? Can human beings, can we as human beings in human form have that kind of intimacy, experience that kind of fellowship with God Almighty? How would you respond to that question? Well, brothers and sisters, God responds. David asks the question of Yahweh, and Yahweh responds. And he responds in kind of a different way than we might think. So let's take a moment here and let's just kind of move through the answer to this question. Would you agree with me at the outset that this is an important answer to a very important question? Yes. All right, and I want us to get to that. So the answer is found in verses 2 through 5. And, and David asked this question, and, and it appears that God kind of gives the answer, and, and, and the answer that God gives, I'll just kind of spoiler alert, he, he kind of lays out some qualifications. He, he lays out some, um, um, some ways that we would live and ways that we would act and ways that we would respond. And it's kind of just all of, all of life. It, it's, it's kind of peculiar that you would, when you look at it, uh, that his answer just kind of captures all of life. It's how we deal with people and family and relationships. How do we work and play? How do we handle success and failure? How do we deal with adversity and suffering? How do we deal with material things and money? He responds with daily, ordinary life stuff. And I want to put it down to one word. Commentators were all over the place. They gave 10 commandments. They took through each line. They did all 10 I just think it reflects godly conduct. It's godly character living out in, in, in a godly conduct. So I want us to look at that this morning. That's how God responds to the question, who may dwell on your holy hill. So let's just, I'm just going to move through here and point a few things out. It's, it's by no way exhaustive. But look at, look at the response to this question. Let's begin in, 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 in verse 2. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks the truth in his heart. Walks blamelessly, does what is right, speaks the truth from his heart. He walks blamelessly. The, the word is kind of, he, he's whole, he's, he's complete. There's no hypocrisy uh, his, his walk lines up with his, his words. He doesn't say one thing and, and do another thing. He, he strives to keep the commandments of God. He, he wants to live a life that's true to, to God's word. He, he might seek accountability to keep him in line with walking in God's will. He walks blamelessly. The second thing, he does what is right. Not passive, upright character. He or she actively, uh, actively engaged in doing righteousness. They feed the hungry. They give drink to the thirsty. They welcome the stranger. They clothe the naked. They care for the sick. They visit the prisoner. They look out for the poor, Matthew 25 would begin. They do righteousness. They do what is right. James, our Lord's brother, in, in James chapter 2 says, what, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and keep well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? 
In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by actions, is dead. This person does what is right. Next is godly speech. He speaks the truth from his heart. He's one that's truthful. He he or she speaks the truth. Truth can be counted on. Truth is necessary. It's not speculation. It's not volumes of information. It's not all your opinions and all your ideas on a matter. It's not giving people what they want to hear so they'll be impressed with you. But it's rather speaking the truth from the heart. Jesus in Luke chapter 6 talks about spiritual fruitfulness. And he says this, Matt quoted in his prayer, the good person out of the good treasure in his heart produces good fruit. The evil person out of the evil treasure of his heart produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Godly character produces godly conduct and it produces godly speech, which produces good fruit. He goes on to speak more about this speech. Who does not slander, verse 3, who does not slander with his tongue, does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. The Apostle Paul said, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. James warns us, the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. This text speaks no slander, no evil, no reproach. Uh, I was reading a commentary. James Montgomery Boyce said this, I think the most damage, I think more damage has been done to the church and its work through gossip, criticism, and slander more than any other sin. Our problem isn't out there somewhere. Our problem is here. And our problems is what comes out of our mouth. Gossip, slander, and evil. In Psalm 15, we're confronted with one who speaks of a blameless, a righteous speech. Holy conduct is reflected by a holy walk. It's reflected by holy work. It's reflected by holy words. He goes on in verse 4. This is the response. Who, who, can, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? In whose eyes a vile person is despised, verse 4 says. But who honors those who fear the Lord? Who swears to his own hurt and does not change? God's response is, in whose eyes a vile person is despised. It seems odd to me. Seems almost unbiblical to me. Wait a minute, I thought we were supposed to be different. I, I thought we were supposed to. Jesus tells us we're to, we're to love our enemies and we're to do good to those who hate us and, we're to, and, and, and those who persecute us. And, and what I, I think we have here is, is God's words addressing people who admire evil people. Who esteem evil people. Who listen to and support evil people. God-hating people, God-belittling people. I think there's a word for us. There was a word for me in this. There are many athletes, entertainers, TV and internet personalities and politicians 
whose lives are a colossal moral failure and an affront to the living God. And while we are to love them and to extend mercy to them and evangelize them and pray for them, we are not to esteem them and listen to them and follow them. The word vile means reprobate. It means rejected by God. We are to have nothing to do with them. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. It's one thing to have to be under one. It's, it's one thing to watch. It's a whole other thing to look at their lives, emulate their lives, and esteem their lives. We are not to esteem those that are vile. Instead, uh, God's word says that we are to honor those who fear the Lord. That we are to honor those who fear the Lord, often ordinary, common people. Many who won't be on television. Many who, who won't have the world's beauty and the world's goods oftentimes. I've said it often that the kingdom of God is the greatest enterprise on the planet. Jesus Christ and his building his church is the greatest enterprise on the planet. It's the greatest thing going at any moment, at any time on the planet. Is God building his church, Jesus building his church through broken, weak, ordinary people. I wonder... Are our idols on TV and entertainment, and do we listen to them, or are many of our heroes sitting in this room this morning? I took extra time with Peg. We should esteem one another. We should honor one another. The Word of God says in Romans chapter 12, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do we have heroes in this room? We have heroes in our lives. Do we value them? Do we listen to them? Do we cherish them? Do we thank God for them? Do we pray for them? Do we encourage them? Do we support them? Do we cheer them on? We, we honor those who fear the Lord. See, next, people of godly conduct are those who swears to his own hurt and does not change. I got to move through it fast. Stay with me. Who swears to his own hurt and does not change. That was odd for me. Someone in one of the commentaries just kind of broke it down. They defined it this way. This is what he means. Who keeps his oath at all times and is faithful even when it hurts. All right? So this is a person who keeps their oath. I promise something, I'm staying with it even when it hurts. That's what I think they want us to see here. Now, I get to get personal because I'm not talking to anybody outside. I'm talking to you this morning. And we do at this church value church membership. And the reason we value church members, we think we see it in the Bible, and we see it is something that we're covenanting together. We are promising together. We are making commitments together through good and bad and all the ugly and all the messiness. We've covenanted to be together. And in 33 years, I've seen... A lot of pain and a lot of hurt because as soon as it gets bad, we pick up and we move on. Now listen, I know there's a lot of hurt in this room. I know a lot of people have moved from different churches. I know there's times to leave churches. But oftentimes when things start to hurt in our lives, we find it very hard to stay fast to our promises and to our commitments. This text 
is saying that we, we hold fast to our commitments even when it hurts. We honor our vows. We keep our commitments. And it goes on. Godly conduct. Verse 5. Who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. What do these people value? What do we value? Just check our finances. Check our stewardship of all that God has given us. Now this used the word interest and, and, and bribes and in this culture, they, they were, you don't, in the Jewish culture, you don't exhort interest from another brother or sister. You don't, you don't bribe. You just do it. There was a known for that. But, but what he's speaking about here is just money and injustice. Does our money cause us to start treating people unjustly? And especially our posture to the poor. So I just sat back for a minute and I started to talk about my money. It's not my money. I don't own anything. I came in this world naked and I'm going to leave it naked. I don't own anything, but I start thinking it's my money. And when I start thinking about my money, this is the stuff that creeps into my mind. Your pastor, the guy that's preaching to you this morning, this is what creeps into my mind. I start getting a little selfish. I start making sure I got my things in order here. I get a little stuff. You know what happens when you get my, you start getting a little greedy. It wouldn't be bad to have a little more money. I get selfish and, 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 and I can kind of start to get the, a little bit greedy. I can start getting a little covetous. I start looking at what somebody else got. And I start taking an interest because I got some money here. And I start taking interest in what, I start to become materialistic. I can buy some things that can make me happy. This is all money, and it's all turned in, and it all gets to the place where we just more money, and we stop seeing the needs of those around us. My money becomes all about me, and I got no time to even notice the poor, the needy that God has put in my path, and there's a place where our money and our finances becomes injustice. Jesus says it's easier for a camel to walk through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of head. He's trying to get our attention. He's saying things that are true. Hey, there's a woman over there. She's got nothing. The last penny she had, she just put it in the offering plate. She couldn't afford to give. She gave anyway. And he's getting kind of our attention. He tells a story about a rich man and Lazarus. There's two people. One's going to heaven. One's going to hell. It's the poor person that goes to heaven. And it's the rich person that goes to hell. He's saying to us, what hold does money have in your life? That's it. That's how God answered the question. That's not how I'd answer the question. But but that's how God answers the question. Remember, who can dwell in the presence of of the Almighty. Who can have worshipful, joyful fellowship with the living God? That person. That's God's answer. And I got to tell you, as I prepared this message, I just kind of find myself a stand and I just read more and more and more and more. And it just felt like I started to get on this spot. And the place where God wanted me was, was over there. And then it got bigger and the chasm just kept... Then it was over there, and then it was over there, and I just found myself over here. 
Where I should be is way over, like this Grand Canyon, right? I'm on this rim of the Grand Canyon, and I should be on that rim of the Grand Canyon, and I got to get there. And, and I can't. And, and then I read in, in the verse, the final verse closes, he who does these things shall never be moved. And I was confronted with a lot of, Lord, I, you've changed me. Lord, you're working, but... I don't know if I'm ready to stand on a thing and say, I'm doing these things well. I'm, I'm about all these things, Lord. You can look on me. I got you. Right? Now, does these things shall not be moved? I got to tell you, I don't feel immovable a lot. I'm not walking around like I got it together. I'm not walking around like I got it figured out. I get tossed to, to and fro from time to time, and life starts to beat me up, and I wrestle with deep realities and things that happen to me. I don't feel like one who's never moved. So it got me asking, is there a promise here? Did I miss something in that list? And I think there is. I need you to stay with me for 20 minutes. I, I think there is. And I think it's pointing. I think it's right. I need to say at the very outset, he's speaking about real people. This is a real context in Psalm 15. King David is going, this ain't me. But there are blameless. There are righteous people described in the body. We, we read this in Job and we read it in David and we read it in other people. His prophets were blameless and spotless. They weren't perfect people. But they were called blameless. They were called righteous. Brought it to attention even this week. I think Charlie brought it to attention. Even Zechariah and Elizabeth were called blameless people. Before Jesus, before the Holy Spirit, before all that, there were blameless people. But I'm saying as I read this, I believe as King David reads this, he's going, no way. That's not me. I can't lead my wives. I can't lead my kids. I can't lead this nation. I've made a mess of a lot of stuff. You call me through my line. It might come through my line, but it's not me. It's not, it's, it's, it's not mine that's bringing this. And, and that's what caused me just to pull back the lens a little bit. Wait a minute. What's the Lord saying here? And sometimes we need context. And context helped me greatly, and I believe it will help us greatly. I need to share two things in closing. And I think they come from context. This is not printed in your bulletins, so you're going to need to listen to me here. If you have your Bibles open to, Luke, or, or to uh, Psalm chapter 15... Just look at Psalm chapter 14, and not just Psalm chapter 14. You can read Psalm 10, you can read Psalm 11, you can read Psalm 12, you can read Psalm 13, you can read Psalm 14, all right? Before we get to 15, there's these other Psalms, and they're this, in this order, so I need to at least, this is true. So in Psalm 14, and in verse 2, um, 2 and 3, we read these words. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand who seek after God, they have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. None righteous. Not one. No, no one seeks God. No one does good. There's no one who does good, not even one. We must start here. I know you hear this from this pulpit. I have no good God. I have not done anything to earn, put myself in this position. Even those people I mentioned, the only reason they were called blameless and they did walk righteously is because God was at work in and through them to accomplish something that never would have taken place. But it did. And Psalm 14 begins to address where I'm at in this. We must be continually reminded and aware of our humanity uh, apart, all humanity apart from God and his grace. 
in our lives? Who may sojourn in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? The answer is nobody. No one is worthy. No one is there because they brought anything to the table. If we're honest, this, this, this psalm demands something that, that we do not possess. Again and again and again, we were, hear about being blameless. We hear about being righteous, a holy, righteous uh, conduct. God must make a way. If you're still there with me in, 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 in Psalm 14, look at the last verse of Psalm 14, the verse right before Psalm 15 begins. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. Now King David knows salvation coming out of Zion. He knows it isn't him. It's not him. He's looking one day, the Lord did something great to me and to my house, but it isn't me that's bringing salvation. I'm not a change in anything eternally here. There's one that's gonna come from my line that will be a king. He will be actually the king and he will restore all things. There's gonna be a son that's gonna come from me. It's not me, but he's not gonna be a son. He's gonna be the son. He will be the very son of God and he will bring salvation. I think we need to see us in Psalm 14 and we need to see Jesus in Psalm 15. Now, stay with me. God does change us. Psalm 15 is us, but it's first, it's Jesus. He's the one who's blameless. He's the one who's righteous. He's the one who's truly benevolent and great and gracious and, and, and good in all of his conduct. And it's where we have to come. We stand on this side of, 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 in history of this side of the cross. And as we look at Psalm 15, we must reckon with these. Brothers and sisters, for us to consider the godly conduct that is described in Psalm 15, we, need, we desperately need two things. And I just want to share those two things with you this morning. Desperately need two things. Here's the two. First, we need righteousness. We need righteousness. Our need is not to live good enough lives. We, we don't meet the requirements of Psalm 15. We need forgiveness from our sins and we need righteousness that we do not possess. And in Jesus, we are granted forgiveness through his atoning sacrifice. In Jesus, we experience salvation from our greatest enemy, sin, which leads to all death and damnation. In Jesus, God's just wrath is appeased. And brothers and sisters, hear this. In Jesus, righteousness is provided. It's not enough, hear me, it's not enough to be forgiven. It's absolutely essential, but it's not sufficient. We lack righteousness, all of us. We lack the moral good to stand before God. We lack a life of obedience that God demands of each one of us. We cannot dwell with God. We cannot enjoy fellowship with God because we lack righteousness and Jesus Christ provides that righteousness a really good word we hear it again and again second corinthians 5:21 for our sakes he god made him jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of god jesus fulfilled all righteousness through his perfect obedience to the father 
He took our sin upon himself on the cross that we might be forgiven and granted his perfect righteousness, his perfect life of obedience. He imputed that to us. He grants us Christ's righteousness. His perfect life of obedience, God looks at us and sees Jesus' perfect life of obedience. But my question this morning is, why? Why do we have to be righteous? And we read again in 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous, Jesus, for the unrighteous, all of us, that he might bring us to God. The end, brothers and sisters, is not forgiveness. The end is not gathering in a sanctuary and singing songs. The end is God. He came to provide a righteousness so we could be uh, in fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, he died, he rose that we might be restored to our fellowship with God. Jesus hangs on a cross. He accomplishes it to the very end. He was perfectly obedient to the Father. He utters those three words. It is finished. He gives up his spirit and what happens? The word of God says the temple curtain was rent from top to bottom. What is that all about? Access. It is finished. Everything necessary for access to God, holy of holy access to God, has been made, made available through the death and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ by providing you a righteousness you can find no place else, yet you do not have, and it can only be found through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the end of our salvation. That's the joy of our salvation. Not that we can just stand around and say, hey, we're forgiven, we're forgiven. The end of our salvation is we get God. We get access to God. We get reconciled to God. We can have sweet fellowship and communion with God. That's the joy of Christianity. And that's all been provided for us, that in Jesus. I can sit down this morning in my lazy chair, flop open my Bible with a caffeinated beverage next to me, and I can read the word of God and pray and I can experience sweet, intimate, profound, deep, unexplainable communion and fellowship with Almighty God. Why? Because Jesus provided for me a righteousness. Because God the Father looks down at me and he sees a perfect life of obedience. My life has been miserable. And he looks upon me and he sees the perfect obedience of his son and he communes with me and he meets with me and we can have fellowship together solely through the righteousness of another. Jesus has provided that. I think of everything we do in corporate worship, in private devotions, listening to music at home or in the car, on a walk in the morning, lying in bed at night, at a Bible study or life group during the week, around the table with family and friends after dinner, sitting on the porch at night, gazing at the stars, standing on a beach, contemplating the bigness of God and the nearness of God. All opportunities for us to dwell on his holy hill. And it was all made because of him because of his righteousness imputed to us through faith. And we need one last thing, and i got to say this quickly, and it's worthy of so much more. We lack righteousness. And brothers and sisters, we need a new heart. We need a new nature. 
Word of God said, just the things that were described in Psalm 15 ain't coming from this heart. Something's got to happen to this heart. And God provides that in Jesus. Listen to the promise of the new couple Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27 says this. I will sprinkle clean, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone and from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Listen, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. He takes a heart of stone and gives me a heart of flesh. He gives me a new heart. He gives me a new nature. He fills me with his Holy Spirit. Why? to cause us to do what we cannot do, to walk in his statutes and be careful to obey all of his rules. No one works to get right with God. But those who are right with God work. We, we don't work to get right with God, but when we're right with God, with a new nature and a new heart, with, with the Holy Spirit living and dwelling inside of us, we work. We live radically different lives. We begin, people, people actually begin to see Psalm 15 stuff in us. Why? Because we're good? Because we figured something out? No. But because we've been declared righteous in, in the courtrooms of heaven, and because we've been given a new heart, and the third person of the, of the, of the Trinity dwells inside of us. And we live different lives. Let me, just, let me just go back and just read them for you. Our walk becomes consistent with our talk. Our works are done in the power of the Holy Spirit, flowing from humble hearts to bless others and to please God. Our words are truthful and trustworthy. More and more of God's word and truth and principles from God's word flow from our lips, giving life to those who hear and encouragement to those who receive. Our conduct directs people to God we know and love. We hate sin, we despise those doing evil, and we honor those who fear the Lord. And as our God is benevolent, and truthful in all of his dealings, so we like him increasingly more benevolent, more truthful in all of our dealings with money and material things. And we actually start to really care for the poor around us. And we actually start to really care about the needs around us. I would not have answered the question this way. I don't think you would have answered this way, but this is the way God answers the question in Psalm 15. Who may sojourn in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? Who may have worshipful, worshipful fellowship with you? And he describes godly conduct. And I want to say, as I have said, when these things happen in our lives, our lives are radically and profoundly transformed. And we do begin, by God's grace, to walk and live and experience the joy of, of Psalm 15, we do live lives that bear witness and bring glory to God. We do live lives that bring him pleasure and delight. I'll close with this story. I, my good friend Bob Dick is here this morning, and we were sharing on Friday at work, and we just got going back. I don't know how we got there, Bob, but we got there quick, and we just started talking about We started talking about high school days, and we started talking about some of the horrible things we thought and did. In our high school days, I was a little bit more. People just look on the outside, thought I was a really good kid. I wasn't a good kid. I had a wicked, evil heart. I said and did awful things. 
And Bob and I just kind of were reminded, and it was a good reminder. Sometimes God needs to take us back and remind us of how wicked and how horrible we were. And we were. There was no righteousness. There was no good being worked out in our lives. We were wreaking havoc in our lives and in the lives of people around us. And we just began to praise God that we're not those people anymore. We began to praise God that over years, and it's been a slow process sometimes, we are new creatures. We, we, we don't do those things. We don't say those things. We don't live in those places any longer. Did, did you figure something out? No. Did I figure something out? No. God in his sovereign grace changed my heart and made me a new creature. He caused us to be born again. And we began walking now, empowered by his Holy Spirit, clinging to Jesus Christ and the righteousness he has provided for us through his sacrificial death and life on the cross. And we live differently. We're not those people anymore. We don't desire those things. We don't see joy in participating in those things. We haven't figured anything out. God has changed us. And all we can do is praise his great, holy, and awesome name. We increasingly walk in Psalm 15. It's not a burden. He's not putting any laws on me. He's just teaching me how to live. Jeff, you're my child. I love you. And I just want you to walk in these ways. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord, who may sojourn on God's holy hill. And, and just as we close this morning, I just want to, Jim's going to come up here in a moment with his team and, and go. I, I want us just to stop for a moment. I'm done. I, I want us just to stop for a moment. I want to put two questions before you, and I just want you to get quiet before the Lord for just a moment. Heard enough. And I just, I think this, this psalm leads us to some introspection, some healthy introspection. This is healthy. This is good for us. I hope something was stirred in you in the midst of that, not because of emotion, but because the word of God is powerful. And he meets needy people, and he does it. I have two questions I want you to think about. And, and, the, and the, the first question would be, how is my desire for my communion with God? Have I just gotten so religious and so Christian in the sense of I'm just doing so many things? I've just lost the essence of Christianity. He said, we get God. He delights spending time with his children. I can't figure it out. I'm not a delightful person to spend time with. But he does. And I'm not saying it has to be mystical and spiritual. I'm sitting on my, lazy, my chair and I got a sweet tea, sadly, at 7 o'clock in the morning next to me. And I open my Bible and the God of the universe meets. He speaks, he moves, he displays. How is your communion with God? Is there just desire for greater intimacy and fellowship with Jesus? Is that something right now you would say, none of us are, God, none of us are, none of us are knocking out of the park. No tens in the room. All right, let's just settle that. But as I'm sharing this morning, something's just, I just, I'm just doing a lot of stuff, Jeff. I don't even know what I'm doing half the time. Very little fellowship, very little communion. How's your communion with Jesus? I don't say it in a condemning way. I say it in an encouraging way. I'd love for you to respond to this message by just saying, Lord, help me. I've been distant. I've just been out and i just doing my thing, and I haven't cared. Lord, help me. Have mercy. Just take a moment. You wouldn't pray. My, my second 
My second was maybe you don't see the change. Maybe it's just been a while. Maybe you're just distracted. Matt, pray. We just get distracted. We're just doing 10,000 other things. And honestly, I, I just don't see myself growing. I don't see outworkings of God. That's it, good. Recognize it. Repent. Confess. That's a, it's a wonderful thing. Sweet confession. And maybe fresh forgiveness God would grant you in Jesus this morning as you would just say, I have been so, so, so distracted. And Lord, I've, I've, I've given up. Godly character hasn't even been on my radar screen. It needs to be. Again, not as a burden to do, but just godly character. You want to work more and more of Jesus until, until I see Jesus, the day I see Jesus. You want to make me more and more like him. And that hasn't been much of a priority for me. Maybe one of those questions you resonate with. I, the team's going to come up and just, I'm going to pray. Would you take two minutes? Would you take three minutes this morning before the team plays the closing song and we have a benediction? And just stop and think and ask the Lord for help, because I need it, and we need it. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word of these people, how you work in our lives. Continue to do that good work that you've done in the proclamation of your word this morning. Uh, change hearts, change lives. Be glorified, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.